Welcome back to the Journey Through Justice. I am Petra Hostetler, and we are here again with our guest, Sherman Bradley. Say hello, Sherman. Hello. <laughs> so demanding. <laughs> Just queuing him in. Uh, we have Michelle Heiss. Hey, what's going on, people? Can I ask a question real quick? Yes. Why is your introduction voice like Miss Cleo? Like you're all of a sudden like really like soft. They just call me Miss Cleo. You heard it right here. You heard it right here. Uncut. And with the prior conversations off air, but we're not going to go. He did not call me now for your free reading. He did not. He called me Miss Cleo. And that he that we are referring to is is Grant Dopel. Grant is here with us. And we're going to pick up where we left off, and um, we were discussing going into different neighborhoods, going to different places where you're maybe not used to, things that you may not have prior experience with, and creating empathy, empathy, sympathy, creating some kind of common bond. We, we in our last podcast, for those of you who didn't let, have a chance to listen or maybe forgotten the time in between, uh, we were really, thanks to Sherman, unpacking a lot of the uh, um, the struggles and the issues that I think we are we had seen and are hearing in our communities. And the approach for today was to kind of talk about the solution to those issues. How do we um, find reconciliation? How do we find hope and grace um, when we're talking about issues that are often void of hope and grace? Yeah, because I really like that quote that Sherman gave the last time that you are now falling all over yourself because I want to repeat it. <laughs> People don't care what you, uh, and, and as Grant said, oh, oh, he was about to correct me. So what we're going to do is we're going <laughs> to let him give the quote. But it was such a really good quote. Would you, will you share that uh, with our uh, potential new listeners? Well, first of all, it's not mine. So let's just make that clear. <laughs> it's a Sherman Bradley quote, TM. Not <laughs> mine. <laughs> People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So it's important to lead relationally versus transactionally, where it's just a cause or a task, something you check a box for, something that you have to compile data to support your funding. All that is necessary. However, we are to lead with relationship with our heart, with caring and compassion and empathy for those that we are engaging when we start trying to tackle issues of difference, whether it's social service, the faith community, politicians, so on and so forth. Okay, so that's really good. Thanks for, um, thanks for clarifying that. So we want to get to a place where we are pursuing solutions in that area. We get to the point, how do we get to the point where we care? What, what does that look like? How do we um, physically kind of walk that out of what it looks like to care. Well, you know, it's, again, it's about relationship. And the only way you break down a hardened heart is to continue to show the opposite of the hardness. And that's love, unconditional love, continuing to express truth, no matter how difficult the circumstance may be. There's been a lot of chatter going online right now about a friend of mine who pastors in North Carolina who wound up at the White House with other African-American pastors sitting around a table with our current president. And it's so important that we remove our judgments from afar and be less critical and continue to look at if there isn't any light 
approaching the darkness. How is there ever going to be a change? And if we ourselves were not overlooked by God in all of our sin state, then why should we overlook someone else? Now, I have a lot I can discuss about what I dislike about behavior and character and ideology and so on and so forth. It's a long list. But to criticize folk for sitting around a table as a group and then look at individuals and determine unless they have articulated for themselves directly the perspective for which many folk have from afar been judging, then it, it's just, it's, it's a waste of time. Yeah, but wouldn't you say that motive matters? I don't want to go too, down a, too far down a rabbit trail, but you brought it up, so. <laughs> um, but even along the lines of where we were starting to talk about, does it motive matter? So, okay, so we're talking about, you know, the situation you just brought up. You know, I'm sure everyone has their opinions on that particular situation. Um, for for, for those who pastor, don't know. What he was just referring to about the person in North Carolina who, you know, sat with Trump. Um, it's it's a very well-known situation. We're talking about that video clip, and it's like a bunch of pastors, African-American pastors, sitting around like a round table with Trump, and the one pastor is saying perhaps Trump is the only president who has done anything for black people or he's done the most for black people. Yeah, and there was an assumption that everybody in that room agreed mm -hmm. with that statement. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so, but, so here's my thing. How do you get, and this kind of parallels with what we're talking about, is solutions. Anytime you approach a solution, your motive to the solution matters. Why are you trying to pursue the solution? Why are you, why are you doing what you are doing? Uh -huh. So with that being said, it, it, these aren't the same situations, but with your situation that you're referring to for these pastors, why they're sitting in that room, it does matter forward thinking, not just in the moment of, okay, we just want to do this thing for now. How does this make sense 10 years from now when people look back at this footage? How do we get to, so I think motive, what I'm getting at is motive matters in solutions. So for this particular instance, they went to the White House uh -huh. because they were trying to pursue solution. But what is the motive behind what you were trying to pursue? Well, and again, I, we can't speak for each and every individual. And we can't lump right. them all into a box. And, and that is what's important for me in this dialogue. It, it's important that any time that you're dealing with difference, you have to come to a table of some sort. And you have to speak truth to where there lies. You have to bring light to where there's darkness. So there has been the message that this particular friend of mine should have never gone there. That going was wrong, period. Okay, so anytime you approach something that's new, we're talking about differences. Aren't you going to deal with that with people making assumptions? So your motive should be very well known before you enter into a table of conversation. And not even this particular conversation. I'm talking about, you know, bridging racial divides within the community. Shouldn't you make that very upfront what your motive is going into the conversation so that it's not miscued on the outside from people looking in? That would be a yes if people still did not choose to decide for themselves, regardless of what you say, how they want to see a situation based upon what they think. So I don't go into every situation articulating my motive before I engage the situation. I have built up a history 
of being a person who's an advocate for issues around poverty, whether it has been my volunteerism, my employment, or my entrepreneurialism, it speaks for itself. So I ain't trying to tell you up front my motive for being here every time I go into a situation of difference. But wouldn't you say that that would be necessary in highly publicized things? No. It, it, it's contingent upon each situation. It's not a generality, in my opinion. And for a situation like this, I would suspect, and again, I don't know, and that's what was my frustration about all this dialogue on social media from people who don't even know the people who were sitting at the table. You don't know who he said what to prior to going. And should he make a press conference and have a national discussion with all the people on social media and any means of formal media before he walks into the room? I think not. Because again, you're going to get five million people and millions of different opinions. And so you can't placate to all of them. Is there, if I'm making my motive known, do I automatically shut people down? Do I automatically make it to where there's no, it, that the ability to have a conversation is more difficult? Right, I mean, this is politics. They're in the president's office. Like, so for me, I'm like, well, this is politics. Politicians don't walk around making their motives known. How would they get anything done? Not the true ones. I so I, I didn't, I mean, I don't think that politicians walk around making their, their motives known. In the Gospels, it, Jesus made his motive very clear about why he was here. Did he? he? Made it, yeah, absolutely. To save people. Let me get an example. In First John, where he says, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He made, John the Baptist made the mission very, very clear of the motive of why Jesus came to earth. It was very, very clear. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be necessary in every single situation, but even when, when you have highly publicized things like this, and even bridging racial divides, if I'm going to come to a table, it should be very clear why I'm coming to the table. It should be very clear. My motive should be very, very clear of why I'm coming to have this conversation. Just like, you know, we started this podcast. We made, mm -hmm. it, we made our motives very, very clear mm -hmm. from the very first podcast of why we were doing this thing. But that doesn't mean that there's somebody out there listening who is going to either disagree with your motive or think your motive is different based upon how you communicate whatever it is that you believe in. So just stating it up front does not solve anything. I agree that mm -hmm. that is true. That is mm -hmm. true. But my mo my actions should then follow what my motive has spoken. Oh, yeah, or predated, like as Sherman was saying. Predated, yes. And here is, again, we're talking about a particular scenario, not generalities, because if we get into generalities, then we're down a rabbit hole that we can never come to a solution for because we don't have enough information and we just talk of generalities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But this specific situation, the dialogue that was happening I online mean, I mean to do that to you. had <laughs> a lot of speculation and assumptions that were just a waste of time. And ultimately, you've got to get to the darkness in order to bring light. And you have to speak truth to where there are untruths being spoken, especially when they're in levels of leadership. You have to get to where the leadership is. Now, I, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I'm not going to sit up and judge. And I, was not, I, had, I didn't have any expectation that the whole world was going to be changed by this meeting. So it, when we talk about issues, not just issues of race, but just in general, coming to the table and having a discussion with people who don't necessarily agree with you is something that, and we've said this over and over, the, the physical table and the metaphor of the mm -hmm. table. People just don't do that anymore. People are so, they seldom 
sit down and have discussions to talk about where they disagree with one another. Mm -hmm. um, in our selective communities, is that something that is prevalent? So for instance, in, in the African American community, if we're talking about Trump, would more folks in the African American community see it as a slap in the face if you were to go sit down with him in that aspect? Like we're talking about here in this um, example than just refusing the meeting as a whole? I mean, you can't, I don't think, first, that you can't speak for the whole of the African-American community. I mean, it's just as diverse as, you know, all of the white community. You know, you have, you have black Republicans, you have black Democrats. My family is a historically black Republican family who voted for Trump. So, you can, and I'm black for those who can't see or who don't know. So, I'm from a black Republican family, and I'm sure there's several families just like that. Um, so, I can't really make a generalized statement, like, would people be mad? I'm sure some would, at least half, right? Well, at maybe, least a large percent. A better way of me putting it would be folks who do not support Trump, African Americans who do not support Trump, who believe that he is racist. Mm -hmm. and, and on the other end, I would say that many white folks who um, are upset about NFL players taking a knee mm -hmm. would be unwilling to have a conversation face to face with them about that. I, so I, I, I don't like Trump and I believe that he is racist. Mm -hmm. I just do. Now, with that being said, is that a bad thing? Do I see it as a bad thing as a bunch of black pastors meeting with him at a table? Absolutely not. not. Absolutely not. It's not a bad thing because now where you were going, if you don't have a seat at the table, you can't get anywhere. You absolutely, because we can't engage information. Do I also believe that change is going to happen immediately because of one conversation? Absolutely not. But then you have to then take an expanded view out and look at the parties who are sitting at the table. Are you sitting at the table with people who want change, number one? Did you make your, is the motive very clear of why you came to the meeting? Because honestly, if we come to the meeting and we are, our agenda or our motive to this meeting is change, you may not want to sit down with me. And the reality is if you look at Trump, He's not the type of person, he's not portraying himself. I don't know him, so I'm not judging him. I'm only going off of the observations that I've seen of him in the media himself, not someone else's word of mouth third party. He isn't a person that I see as someone who wants change, at least the change that these black men, black pastors were going to talk about, mm -hmm. which one of those things that came up was the mass incarceration of blacks. Mm -hmm. That was one of those topics. This man doesn't look like he cares. So you've just sat at the table with someone who doesn't care. I'm not saying don't, but just know what you're, that's why motive does matter. And so to get into how would African Americans feel? Well, I'm sure some are mad that they even went, but there's others who are gonna be like, well, how can you create change if you don't stay at the table? Change makers, the one thing that they tell you to do is don't leave the table. We get mad and we leave the table and then we can't be a part of change. So someone has to come to the table and be willing to have the conversation. So you're gonna have people who are there and then there's some people who like me are just upset about what was said at the table. <laughs> like the, I do not agree with the pastor that says Trump is the best thing that happened to black people and I, I'm, I'm not quoting it right. So we'll post the, the link to what I've seen other white pastors in my circles uh, retweet or, or add to Facebook what they've shared. And like they just shared that one pastor's opinion. 
and left it at that and like the, the video stops i'm sure that the other it's a table full of people not all of them are going to have the same opinion and then vice versa um there was a popular blogger um the humble homemaker a white woman humble homemaker um who was a white republican woman and she got invited to uh meet president obama and she got invited to be someone who asked a question like it was like a forum room and you can go there's several people asking questions you just to be part of a a forum of ladies who got to ask a question Mm -hmm. and her her following lit her up her christian white republican follower women and their husbands lit her up as if she was evil because she went to meet obama so it happens both ways Mm -hmm. so what and i'm in rooms as an advocate for issues in this city as it relates to the poor with people who disagree with my perspective all the time and if i chose to wait on finding people who agreed with me well then we're going to sit around and we're going to have tremendous limitations on our ability to solve things because you have to cross that divide especially when you're talking about roles and positions of responsibility and power and control. But you just said something very powerful. You said you're in rooms with people who disagree with your perspectives, which means they know what? Uh, they, don't, they don't necessarily know my motive just because they know, no, they no, know no. I disagree. But, but they, they know, know the perspective that you're coming from. They know your, if, if, you, if someone knows your perspective, your motive soon follows that. If you believe because no, I can be a hypocrite. But you're not because your life is looking like that. Yeah, but people can be fooled. That is true, but but to the basis of what I'm saying, you said you sit in the room with people who disagree with you because of your perspective. Out of this particular situation, was that was the perspective known? Absolutely not. It wasn't. That that's too much of a generality. Because I don't know how for you one, I don't know how you were supposed to know if you don't know any of the people sitting around the table. I know I know one of them. I know I know what I see in the media of one of them, so that's very clear. But hold on, I'm confused. I'm so confused. So hold on. What's the question? So you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying Who's you? You, Michelle. <laughs> okay. You're saying that everyone should have been like, Well, I'm here because of this and hello mr trump i'm here because of this and hello so so i'm here because of this and gone around the table and everyone kind of stated why they were there wouldn't you do that if you show up to a meeting where you're trying to bridge gaps you wouldn't tell why well, you were there a, if it if but if if we, what you're saying about trump is correct and and that was stated up front would they even have been Invited, invited to, the to the table because you do yeah, have to the point but, you can be fooled but you you are also assuming that they showed us everything right no i'm not assuming yes, that yes, you are, because you don't know what was said that wasn't on camera that could have spoken to everything you're sitting here being argumentative about <laughs> <laughs> but like also if you're going to have a meeting with the president i am i'm very sure that all the goals and all the credentials and all of that was laid out before the meeting was agreed to and, and, and taken place. All of that has to be laid out and agreed to and signed, sold, and delivered. And so I'm sure there's all that background to it. You know, so the name one positive thing that came out of this. 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know enough about this. That's, that's not. That's not. But if you're gonna come to the table from this, this. I mean, it's not my call. That's, that's a judgment. But I'm not judging. That's a judgment that's, because you said this I'm is connected looking. to now and the future. But we haven't had the future yet to decipher whether there's been any benefit or not because you don't even know what the individuals learned from their experience, who else they met besides that person in the room that they may build something upon for where they are to speak to the things that are important to them. I'm not saying there is, there won't be a benefit. I'm asking you, what is the benefit thus far? Well, how can we know? What do you mean? How can we? How can we know? How could we know what the benefit was? Do we even know what we the goal there. was? My point. We're back to the very first thing. What was the goal? Exactly. You just made my point for me. Oh. You just made my point. But I'm just saying we just don't know? know what the goal was. Are we supposed to know? Absolutely, we should know what the goal is. Why? Why wouldn't we? If we're trying to get people, it's not our meeting. If we're trying to get people, it's not our meeting. But here's, but so it's publicized. So it is. It's America's meeting. Come on now. It's a, it's okay, a, come on now. It's a marathon. I'm sure if we looked really hard and we looked at the meeting agenda, we could find what the agenda was through the meeting. But this is America's meeting. There's all kinds of America's meetings. It's in the public eye. It's in the public eye. It is America's meeting. Okay. America's meeting. America's meeting. Okay, so let's talk about that. Because we're, we're not going to bring a solution <laughs> so from this perspective. Let me ask this. What are the tables in our communities that we need to be sitting at? That's a great question. Thank you. Brian. 21 minutes later. <laughs> right. Oh, and man. as we segue into that, <laughs> wow. we're going to let Sherman talk about his business. It's called Good Fit Wait, Training. No, I, before we do that, I think he, I would love to hear him say that. What are some of the tables that the church would... What, yeah, what are some of the tables? Question? Yeah, Sherman, I think he's talked about them in the rooms that he sat in. You know, what are where do discussions need to be had? Where do conversations need to be had to find and run after So we solutions? can get to some solutions. Mm -hmm. What tables do we need to be at? Obviously, well, not each, this one. each person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> each person is going to have a table or a set of tables based upon preferably what they're called to that speaks to where their passions are, where their gifts lie. And so for me, it is dealing with leadership in the church who has the voice to speak to the unjust systems that are in place. It's also to the political arena where there are the decision makers and systems that create change or create oppression. And it's uh, the interactions I have with people uh, some of the tables are in homes with people who invite me in, and then discussions happen around faith and politics, and you find yourself speaking truth to some of the, uh, let's just say, less than truthful perspectives that are flawed and get in the way of bringing about justice. What would you say to a listener who maybe has been in the church and let me back this up. What would you say to 20-year-old Grant listening to this who at the time believed the church shouldn't run after justice issues? Well, I would, I would ask Grant to do some research in the Bible and just use the term justice mm. and find out what, and, and search through and learn from what you'll find out about the word justice mm. and what it means to the people of faith and how we are 
in a system right now as children of God in the kingdom, which is a government which has governing practices that we must comply with as citizens of this kingdom that are clear as to how we should and should not operate in our daily lives, whether it is handling of finance or handling of relationships. In there are just practices mm -hmm. that if we adhere to, we get the blessings that come with them. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, and we're disobedient to those practices and laws and governance that the king sets in place, then we reap those rewards, or, or uh, let's just say, the dysfunctions of the sin. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's very clear, I, and I would ask, you know, there's a lot of stuff I could say from my personal experiences mm -hmm. as well, talk about injustice, mm -hmm. but I would send young Grant to the scriptures. And mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day, but, you know, the, the, the question that we were talking about is, how did I get to that point in my life where I was perpetuating racism unintentionally. Um, and it wasn't from lack of knowledge. I think, I know now, that for me, it was a lack of desire to do what you just said. Mm. Because I was afraid of, and I don't even know if I would have even labeled it as fear then, but Michelle would have, we have to hold, find that argument in episode number four. But. Um, but now looking back on it, it, it was a fear of what I was going to find. Hmm. Fear of the truth. And do you think that that is why many who say that the church shouldn't run after issues of injustice in our system, it, is, it, is that coming from false doctrine or is it coming from a place of fear? Well, I, I think you have a both and. I think there's been definitely misguided teachings, mm -hmm. one. Um, I, I mean, all you have to do is look at what they did through slavery and how they used the Bible incorrectly. But then there's also the fear of what am I going to lose? Mm. What never gets said but comes out in oftentimes uh, nonverbal communication when I sit across from individuals who want to argue about justice, especially people of faith, what they're ultimately saying as they talk about uh, what I'm invoking is socialism because I want to provide a dearth of services for the, the, the less fortunate to assist them with creating a better quality of life. Uh, they, they are frustrated with me when I tell them, well, you moved to Mason for social reasons. Hmm. You pick the school, you, you, you pick the house, you, you, you pick the police department, you pick the recreation, you pick the, the extracurricular activities that enrich your life as to why you supplanted your entire family in that community. But now you want to, talk, you want to put a label on it, a, uh, a national label, because it's based upon the confines of this nation, and you don't want to talk about the kingdom of God and its principles and practices of what just behaviors are which says we own nothing, not ourselves, and not anything that we claim to be our own, not even our children mm -hmm. are ours. They all belong to God. They all belong to the king. The king owns the air. He owns the highways. He owns the money. He owns it all. So if we're sincere about being children of the most high God and being citizens in this kingdom, 
then we don't mind hearing what the scriptures say about bringing into the storehouse and then give it out so that no one has lack, no one has need. Because I don't own it anyway. Can't take it with me. It ain't going into the coffin with me. But yet we create these. And I had an argument with this. Well, it wasn't an argument. Um, it, it was a passionate discussion Spirited with another debate. individual <laughs> who others sitting around would have thought that it was an argument. Because I'm histrionic, so you're going to get some nonverbals, you're going to get some, <laughs> some tones. You, you know, my I hands are up and you my show. My, my, my hands might move. You didn't see my everything voice, that was happening. My voice might raise here and there. But I'm just passionate about a perspective that I hope takes root so that we can create the kind of change necessary for everybody. But there was this pushback, and the terms that kept being used were terms that supported a political perspective. And I had to keep going back to, we don't operate underneath those. We operate under the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And you have to line up your donkey or your elephant perspectives with the line of Judah and what it says. If you're not, then you're not operating as a citizen in the kingdom. Mm. And you're operating out of selfish, prideful gain because we don't want to lose any footing or leverage in our status that is comfort and convenience personified, quite frankly. So man, I just heard a really powerful solution that started from Grant's question. So one of the solutions for people of faith is go to the word. Mm -hmm. Like, like we're, we're saying awesome things and we're hearing awesome things, but one of the things that must have to happen is we have to go to the word. You're saying great things. They're true. But again, I should go to the Bible to see if what you're saying is true. Or if I'm being taught something that's not true, if I'm, if I'm in my word, I'm going to know that what you're saying is not true. Correct. And you also, with that, you have to go to the word with a pure heart and pure motives. So before we go to the word, like we have to say, like, spirit, search my heart. Mm. Like, you have to have a pure heart That's good. when you're talking to God. Like, God, you know, I'm actually, this is how I really feel. And you don't have to hide yourself from God. And you can be like, I think this justice stuff is bogus. Mm -hmm. This is how I really That's feel. Right, yeah. Can you can you search or can you show me in your word, like, can you show me an answer to that? Like, so don't just open up the Bible and look for something mm -hmm. and look for a, a snippet or a tidbit you. that supports your viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Talk to the spirit whom you have a relationship with mm. and say, can you go deeper with me on this part of our relationship? Mm. And so one of the things that I do when I find I'm in a situation where someone is digging their feet in, in a perspective that I know is not kingdom minded, my question is, are you trying to be right or are you trying to be righteous? Mm. And that's the quote I like from the last episode. Because <laughs> that, that, that helps me. When, when I'm trying to be right. He's our quote guy. What response do you get to that question? Oftentimes, <laughs> silence. Because I, wouldn't, I would not, in the moment, I would respond defensively. Because I, from a place of guilt and shame. But I'm, I'm just, I'm... I'm interested if that's what you get. Well, uh, most you recent respond from a place of ignorance because you don't even know how to respond. Well, to the, that the, respond? the most most recent interaction I had with someone assumed what I was articulating was that I was looking for fairness. Mm. I said, no, 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 no. I never okay. used those and words. In the kingdom, fair. I mm. never used those words. Mm. I'm talking about justice mm. and righteousness. Mm. Psalm 89, I think 14. You know, if we're not leading from a place of selflessness mm. 
and making ourselves available to need to hurt pain that's jesus spent his entire life being insightful having knowledge but being insightful to moments to seeing needs and meeting needs Amen. as the need arose Amen. whether it was a uh, pilot or uh whether it was uh, a tax collector or a prostitute mm whether it was leadership in government or whether it was just somebody who was homeless down and out, somebody sick and left as an outcast because they had leprosy. It made no difference to Jesus. And it shouldn't make a difference to us. Amen. So how do I go and I get some practical training on this? <laughs> Thank you. That's why I love you. Bring it back home. Oh, okay. Well, so you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, why not? Sure. 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 It's okay. It's okay. Not all of us have that gift. Am I feeling some defensiveness going on? Trying to be right is not right. Treat us equally up in here, brother. We'll tackle that next episode. So, out of all of this, is an opportunity to. If for those that are courageous, it's about tackling our implicit bias because we all have them. It's innate, it's, with, it's within each and every one of us. It's part of our DNA. We look for tribes, we've been taught tribalism from the beginning and fear is always surf, uh, uh, um, what's the word superficial? Well, it's, it's always present mm -hmm. around us, ready to grab a hold of us when we look through our lenses based upon the things that have been taught to us relationally that's been dysfunctional. And we always have to go back to the truth. And, and one of the things that we want to do with these trainings is help us understand that it's okay to acknowledge I have biases. Mm -hmm. To no longer be afraid of the fact that I have biases. Right. We've had experiences that have perpetuated them. Sometimes they're personal, sometimes they're through what I affectionately call the idiot box. Through television <laughs> and cinema that teaches us things that aren't the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help us, but so help their pocketbooks. So we have to find, uh, a, uh, we have to be willing to take the initiative to be intentional about getting into a place where we can get with other folk who are wanting to learn and then dive into these issues that are our biases. And when we can do that and we can remove that fear that comes from that, now we've opened ourselves for new information to come in. Mm -hmm. And once new information comes in, because what that also does, it helps build trust. Mm -hmm. When we can come and talk about, you know, I, I, I was in a home with a Caucasian female as a teenager who hated black people. True story. That skewed my thinking. Mm -hmm. I can say there was a decade that followed where I did not like nor trust white people. Mm -hmm. That was wrong. I had biases based upon my experiences, and some of it was dialogue that I also had with my grandmother, who was a maid to two families of doctors who were Caucasians, and how she had been treated through all of that time frame, and how she spent time sharecropping down south, and how she knew that her parents were sharecroppers, and before that, slaves, who just was receiving emancipation. You know, I, I've got information that has me on guard, mm. and if I'm not lining up my thoughts and my behavior with the truth, I'm going to operate out of the biases. It's just natural. We gotta have a podcast. I know you're gonna be with us forever. Ah. <laughs> Sorry, you just are because it's so good. But I think um, your training is so good that we're gonna get to. I think 
maybe we can try to help map out some stuff like maybe a podcast and I'm just throwing this out here a, a podcast on implicit bias a podcast just on implicit bias and you if you wouldn't mind at some point walking us through what does that look like and all of us kind of bringing to the table well, our own sorry to interrupt you let me interject there okay so you're hearing this you're like how can i get more can you walk us through it but that's when we would go to goodfit.training correct and sign up to be a part of this so i go and i engage this website if i want some more of that and i want to be courageous i go and i engage and what does this look like well right now in our infancy stages, we want to provide you with the skill and confidence to tackle difference of any kind, but with great outcomes. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we go through a two or three hour training, uh, really a three hour training, that allows us to, again, unpack some critical elements that we have to dive into to be a little clearer about our own biases and then look at what does it mean to build inclusion and diversity. Uh, they're not synonymous, so we have to look at both of them individually and how they are and are not playing out in society, especially in the realms of influence that we have. And then look at what are our willing, what's our willingness and our responsibility to have new conversations mm -hmm. with the new information that we're going to receive mm -hmm. about what does it mean to have uh, cultural humility and cultural profitability, which we'll get into the next time. Awesome. Well, that sounds great. And so to do that, you could go to goodfit.training. And there's a Goodfit Facebook page as well as Goodfit Twitter account as well. Same name. Quick question. I know we're about to jump off. If I do Goodfit, do I have to work out? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. You're going to have to work out your faith. Well, not my body. <laughs> well you know, that's, that's a personal decision that you can take up with Breakthrough. Is it, mm -hmm. is it Breakthrough? Yeah, with Breakthrough MSP. Yeah. Uh, breakthrough Personal Training. You can take that up with us, which is where we're actually recording right now on location. So you might hear some gym feedback here. Um, well, we're so popular, people are asking us to come to them and record. So I mean, what yeah, can we do? you might find us in these Cincinnati streets one of these days doing live podcasts you asking might. live questions. From a tent. But to answer your question, Grant, sometimes the physical, the physical expression can be like a an outward expression of what's happening spiritually. So if you find that you're a little overweight, you might need to detox and maybe be eating or taking in some more healthy things spiritually in your in your spirit. <laughs> food though, I'm good with my pizza. I'm good. That was me trying to pack a joke. <laughs> and it just didn't flow as well as I thought it was going to flow. I wonder where it was going. Yeah. And until next time. Oh. Well, we would like to sign us off. What are, what are we good. doing here for our sign off? I'll let Sherman sign us off. Yeah. Well, okay. first of all, thank you guys again for having me. I appreciate your this. Stuff, so sorry. And we'll uh, we'll get back to this at another date and we'll dive in and we'll start with good fit. How about that? Yes. Mm. All, all right. right. Good deal. <laughs> <laughs>